drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Wake up. It's season four, episode 14 of Drive-By Cinema. But don't worry, if you just joined us, we'll catch you up. You haven't missed much. With me is my co-host, Paul. I've just been reprimanded because I woke up and snorted the coffee. And I'm Rick. Well done, Rick. Can we just give ourselves a round of applause for introducing ourselves? Well done, everybody. We are the podcast that watches movies so that you don't have to. If you have somewhat eroded ego boundaries and you feel that you have to watch movies that you don't want to watch, we're here to help with that. Okay. Now, Paul. Yes. It's what has become increasingly traditional. It's pan news now. Pan news. Because <laughs> What's that mean? Pathé but without the path. No, it's about cookware. Listener Pete. Oh, 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 yes, yes. The hot, sizzling, burning topic of panware. Yes, go on. Listener Pete actually gave me a recommendation for a pan. When I started my query about pans and how they work... And I stuff, introduced the Queen, Mother, the Queen Mother Fridge conundrum, which is a separate issue, but go on. Or paradox, yeah. I, mean, I wasn't soliciting advice, but uh-huh. I'm obviously ah. genuinely interested. Well, I was soliciting advice, but only from you, and you didn't give any. So... A listener has stepped into the breach. I recommended T-File, Richard. You did. You did, admittedly, yeah. I just want to share it with you live. Is it a pan with cute little crocs to walk around in? You can buy on Timu or TikTok, TikTok shop. Is it a little cute little pan with plastic green fluorescent crocs that also empties itself into a robotic dustbin as you come through the door late at night? Right, I'm gonna not like drop. Kind of. I'm gonna drop this into Discord. Oh, 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 oh! I've got to open my phone. But go on, carry on. Okay, and you, you click that, and I want your immediate reaction to the pan that you see. Uh, a bottle of orange juice. No, well, what kind of reaction do you want? Is that uh, am I am I auditioning? No, I'm not auditioning. Oh, oh gosh! There right. we go. That's the reaction I was looking for. I've had one of those before. You have? What? Yeah. That funky colour system. Yeah, what colour is it, Paul, for the listeners that who can't see? Stone Rose's speckle. It's blue. It's blue. And we're speckle talking blue. not the exterior, but the actual cooking surface is blue. Yeah. Speckled. Pollock from what I understand. Blue. From what I understand, yeah. Teflon. Teflon is the slipperiest thing. And so anything that isn't Teflon is less non-stick. So you're compromising your non-stickness. For, for durability. Durability, I think. I don't know. What does this say it's made of? Atoxitility. It says ceramic and titanium interior is ultra non-stick and scratch resistant. I think Teflon's essentially titanium based though, isn't it? No, it's PTFE, isn't it? Teflon is a polymer. Oh, it? oh it's a polymer. Oh god. Yeah. It's a fluoridated polymer, isn't it? Wow. Richard knows his stuff. I'm sure it is fairly non-stick, but I don't think it would be as non-stick as real Teflon. Yeah. But Well, the kind of people who own Argus would perhaps... Yeah, they'd say cast-iron skillet. But that's like the least non-stick thing in the world, isn't it? Also, we don't call them skillets, even though they're cast-iron. We call them cast-iron pans in the UK, don't we? We do, yeah. yeah. But how are you supposed to fry an egg on that? I mean, there's no way... I know, because I lived with a Texan for a year and a half, so... What, and He invested in in a a cast-iron skillet, yeah. And could he cook fried eggs without them sticking? He could. So how do you do it, Paul? You what's do the secret? What's, you season your pan. I knew you were going to say this word. I, well, I don't agree with it, Richard, but that's what you do. <laughs> what the fuck is seasoning a pan? When you season your pan, you heat it up so you smoke the oil, and the oil forms a 
forms a layer with the iron. Right, so it's a pan that requires regular maintenance. How often do you have to season it? Well, you have to wipe off the dead mosquitoes every day if right. you live in a hot country because they're attracted to the oil and they get stuck there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then and then what do you do? What, how, how long is it seasoned for? A season? Is it well, four times a if year? If you're a fan of cooking rather large, not tomahawk, but getting their size steaks, never. Right. Uh, and so whatever I cook it doesn't, in it, it doesn't matter if it's awful, awful flavour. It doesn't matter if a steak. steak sticks, does it? Because uh, well, you it, just you, peel it off, don't well, you? Well, but then you're supposed to, if you charcoal at all, you're supposed to like re-season it, aren't you? You're not supposed to have burnt I don't oil. know. You're telling me about seasoning. I'm listening to I know nothing him. about it apart from he did it like once a year instead of, I imagine, once every one or two weeks. But there's no way you're cooking an omelette in that thing, let's face it. Well, you are, but unhygienically. <laughs> but half of it is going to be stuck in the pan when you've finished, isn't it? Yeah. Now, chefs and cooks use, I think in kitchens, they generally use stainless steel, don't they? No, they generally use a shitload of oil, don't they? That's the secret then, isn't it? Yeah. So a, a thick coating of oil. Yeah, nothing will keeps. stick. Yeah. Or copper. Copper's a popular pan. Copper for its conductivity, of course, and for nothing else, really. And it's antibacterial nature, I think. Oh, oh yes, yes, but that's more beer. That's more tables in old-fashioned pubs, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, so I just thought you'd find that interesting, that, that pan recommendation. Thank oh, you. There was another kind of pan. Whizzing me around the world, it's sort of pan choices. I feel heavily confused, Richard. There is another kind of pan, isn't Too much there? information. There's, there's proper ceramic pans, like completely ceramic. Oh, you mean it. like a crusade? Yeah, yeah. Can you get a frying pan in a crusade? Set? You certainly can get a crusade frying pan. Yeah, um, but it does stick, unfortunately, Richard. Unless you've well, got oodles. This is of... it because it's not Teflon. But you've got to have of oodles of oil with crusade. The same as a cast iron pan. The same as a stainless steel pan. Then, but as any cook will tell you, including Jamie Oliver, if he's telling the truth for once, is professional cooks use a shitload of oil, a shitload of salt, of salt, a shitload yeah. of pepper, shitload uh, of butter, a shitload of butter. And if you use all those things, one, it's probably not going to stick, and two, it tastes good, doesn't it? And it's going to kill you. And it's less healthy than McDonald's. I'm not a huge McDonald's supporter, but I, the 2000s, the noughties, when all these kind of fashionable cooks railed against the unhealthiness of McDonald's. And if you went to Le Duc à l'Orange, or whatever it was called, and had even the, <laughs> the, the smallest of their main meals, you'd be bursting arteries like some port squaffing... <laughs> Don at Oxford, wouldn't you? You know, it's just yeah. Ridiculous. Gout is a rich man's disease, not a poor person's disease. Precisely. Let's face it. I'll uh, tell you something. At the moment in McDonald's, the special they have on is a Philly cheese steak, and it's fantastic. Is it good? Really I have good. to say, really like their it. chicken selects are just really, really good. They just are good. The chicken McCrispy, or whatever it's called, that's good as well. Well, they do make about eight million of each a day, so. At some point, they're bound to get it right. They're going to get it right, whether you like them or not. You know, whether you approve of them as a a corporation or not, they're going to get the taste right, guys. Okay, we have to accept that. Please don't tell me it tastes bad. We're not sponsored by McDonald's. No, we're not sponsored by anybody. We're free to say what the hell we like. No, we're not, unfortunately. Okay, so it is that season to be jolly because Big Brother is back again, Richard. Right. Okay. Well, I haven't been watching. I haven't watched it. For well, years. it doesn't do Big Brother really itself. I was. Oh. You know, we've touched upon the idea of can we use the words like Machiavellian no. and Luddite oh, yeah. and oh, Frankensteinian yeah. and Orwellian in a general, or do we have to use it in a technical sense? So you know, many of the contestants, the Generation 
Z and Generation A contestants on Big Brother are rediscovering the idea that this is just a game. And so during their discussions of the fact that this is a game, we've got to play it, like, and they don't watch Big Brother. It seems they haven't, okay? The people are actually on it. Uh, they're saying, well, this is a social experiment. I mean, how do you feel about the idea of using the word experiment in that sense? I mean, it's, I mean, you could say it's a field observation, but is it a social experiment? I don't think it is. There are no parameters there we're using and controlling, are there? What I would say is that when Big Brother Season 1 came on TV, it genuinely felt like an experiment in television. Or a field observation. Or a Nothing case else had really been done quite like that. Television hadn't been made that way. Mm-hmm. One of the crazy things about Season 1 is you could log on to the internet. This is pretty early for this kind of stuff. And they were streaming people like, the whole thing all the time. Yeah. Pretty much unedited. I'm sure they had people watching out for gross offence. And it was really exciting because season one, Big Brother, was Nasty Nick and his shenanigans. You you could stay up at night watching Big Brother live streamed on the internet, which was so crazy futuristic at the time. You could pick up on all these subtle hints that something was going on and see little conversations. And then the next day, they'd have the recap from the previous day, which would like consolidate all the things you'd seen. But you'd also have seen things that they didn't put in the edit. Ah. So you'd see the story they were telling. So you have broken see the... TV by your viewing. <sighs> yes, exactly. Now, it doesn't work that way anymore. It hasn't done for many years, and it's not as interesting. But It's, I... it's highly stage-managed now, isn't it, in terms of experience and in terms of... Well, I'm sure it always was, but there was something a bit anarchic about that. There was something about the fact they didn't have enough editors and producers to boil it down to the consomme that it is these days. Possibly not, no. And I think possibly the contestants were maybe not chosen with the same kind of assiduous production Funneling, shall we call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think the point is, you know, it was a hammer through a TV when it started, wasn't it? It really was smashing a TV. Well, it changed the way TV is made and shown to us. Reality television has become, you know, one of the biggest formats, hasn't it? And it's still with us in many different but slightly twisted formats. And the enforced relaxation, I guess, of TV generally and movies also. The whole genre has had to, like, lose its tight arse, hasn't it, really, in terms of how it presents itself to an audience, I think... But, Paul, we're not here to talk about television. We're not. We're not. No. What we're here to do is you, listen. You didn't answer my question, Richard. Well, when we say social experiment, do you, do, you, do you agree with the vague, ordinary way of exp- using it, which means to, to look at how something is in a novel situation? But No. Big Brother is not an experiment in any sense of the word anymore, is it? Because it's now just routine. They do it every oh. year. It's now a standard practice of televisual format, isn't it? It's not an experiment. No more than a game show is an experiment. I suppose a game show is an experiment. In how if you're going to use experiment in the casual sense, it must mean to try something new. Must Novel, it? yes. It yes. Must, yeah. So it fails on both counts, doesn't it? Thank you. Okay. On to Fairer Shores, which I think is reviewing this movie's choice. We, uh, As this, of this music, which this may or may bit. not be the music you're familiar with. <laughs> Okay, so Paul, this week, this week we were tasked with watching a time loop movie. Again. Yes. Like we are in a time loop. Exactly. It's like we're stuck in a time loop movie with time loop movies. So, what was the name of this movie? 
which is rather more light-hearted than some of the ones we've done recently. Yeah, I, this is a movie I, I wanted to watch for a long time, and I've probably forgot about it. It's Palm Springs from 2020. Palm Springs. Cool. Featuring famous people, you might say, for once on our channel. Are you saying we don't normally have famous movie stars? We don't normally have Andy Samberg, do we? So where do people know Andy Samberg from? Oh, come on, we all know Andy Samberg. Go on, lay it on us then. I'm pretty sure he started off on YouTube, but I'm not entirely sure about that. You're right, he was one of the Lonely Planet guys. Lonely Planet guys, that's it, thank you. Who did the smash hit YouTube music video. What's he called? Well, he did several. There was one called I'm on a Boat... Oh, I think he one about his schlong. Oh. He almost certainly has one about his schlong. He has one that is my favourite called uh, Like a Boss. Like a Boss. Oh, right. Have you seen it? No. Okay. Well, you have to watch it, Paul. So get your YouTube up. Search I have for seen Lonely Like Planet. a Boss, but I don't remember it. That's well, we're going to watch it now. It's worth it. It's, it's worth it. Is I'll it? put the yeah, link it in the show. editing uh, was waiting out this. Like Easily done, Paul. Is it pre... What was that thing we all watched in 2008 about slimy fingers, that cartoon thing? What was it called? Icky fingers. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. You do. You know, that creepy guy with the creepy northern voice. <laughs> salad fingers. Remember salad fingers? Oh, no, God. Not, not this again. Okay, sorry. Like a boss. With Seth Rog- Ro- 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 Rogan Rogan. Seth Rogan, yeah. That's the one. Who, again, is huge these days, isn't he? Like a boss. Nice. Dick in a box. There it is. Dick There's in a the box. link at the end. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. schlong. Obviously, after all that success on YouTube, he, I think he got picked up. I think he ended up on Saturday Night Live. I don't know, though, because I'm not in America. I don't watch Saturday Night Live. I think Live. it was co-temporaneous. Possibly so, yeah. For me, he reminds me of Chris Morris quite a lot. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, Richard. Oh, another one of Richard's tangential connections that really works. Well done. Thanks for admiring my tangentials. And <laughs> hey, it's great for your test levels if you get into our age. Oh God, <laughs> Paul, uh, Richard, have you have you tried supplements yet? Those have you tried things, up in your manliness. Those things have never seen the naked sunlight. I'm sure they would crisp well, up. Well, Richard, if you bathe them in sunlight, you'll get a sudden surge to your manly urges. <laughs> no one needs that. I don't need that. Paul, who is the Female lead in this rom-com. Okay, I really put him on the spot here, isn't he, now? Okay. I, 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 I researched one actor, Richard, you know. Okay. I mean, yep. You it, rest. You've done enough. Cut she's funny. <laughs> she's really funny, but I don't know. You don't know who she is. She is Kristen Milioti. Whoa. Black Mirror is probably what I've seen her in. Oh, she's famous, right. Okay. She was in Fargo, the TV series as well. She's funny, anyway. She's got good comic timing. I'll tell you something, the Ur uh, time loop movie, and I'm not saying there weren't ones before this, but it has become synonymous with this, if it is a genre, genre, must be surely Groundhog Day. Yeah, although we have in the past year or two seen some that I think get close to beating Groundhog Day in technicalities at least. Like Happy Death Day, for instance, is another yeah. one. I wanted to mention this because the structure of most of the Is that the college movies, one, Happy Death Day? That's right. It's where yeah, it's like a, a slash movie. movie, slash murder. Yeah. Yeah, it throws it in a whole different perspective. The normal structure of these movies is... Is to get out of that now. No, you start off in normal time and they go through a little bit of, of a day or a period 
where you see some kind of landmark, maybe time mark is a better word, sort of landmark events that are going to we're going to flag to the audience. Yeah, as they reappear, the audience is going to clock. Oh, this must be a time loop. A bit like Mario Kart or some driving game where you're driving through the desert, but you've got to go through hoops in various <laughs> stages. Trans Am. I think Ultimate Play the Game is one of their worst games was Trans Am, wasn't it? <laughs> where you had to drive randomly in 48K Wonder. Never oh, well, exactly. You had to drive in 48K Wonder across, across America and you know go through various hoops somewhere in the Navajo Desert or whatever. Paul, it's worth saying that motor racing often takes place on a circuit... And is by its very nature, therefore, looped, isn't it? It is. It's perhaps not surprising that you're you're seeing echoes of looping. So I think what Richard's about to say is, isn't it arbitrary that we should see the time loop recur every day, synchronous with... No, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to point out that unlike the normal time loop movie, where you start Mm -hmm. off with someone doing normal things, but we watch enough of it so we know that they're in a loop, in this movie... Oh, we don't get that here, do we? No. We, we start fresh. kind of in media res, don't we? Yeah, we're right this is in, great. We're already in a time loop. And we don't realise this initially. Yeah, this is amazingly good. Because... I love that. We start off with our hero, as it were, who's called Niles. That's right, Niles, isn't it? And He's rocking up to a wedding party, isn't he? No, 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 no. He's asleep he's in bed there. at the wedding party. Oh, at, is it them? Well, they the have rocked up to a wedding party, him and his girlfriend... But actually, the opening is an exterior in the desert mm. with a goat. We see an earthquake kind of ringing. It's about six days since I watched it, so you have to tell me what happened. It, it's a very short sequence at the start, but an earthquake kind of rends a, a rip in the land near to the goat. We then see Niles waking up. Maybe that oh, was a dream. Oh, yeah. Maybe that was a dream, but who knows? He wakes up and he's seeing his girlfriend doing something with her legs, putting stockings on or shaving them. I don't know what she's doing. They have. Awkward morning sex. Let's face it, morning sex is often awkward, isn't it? Well, uh, it, 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 we could say it fails to be sex, doesn't it, really? They, they fail to kind of get it on, don't they? Well, she's a bit put off by how he smells, I think. It's morning sex, what do you expect? He just can't really get to a, a, a conclusion, can he? Well, she says, go over there, watch me, and, and, and whack. Doesn't <laughs> uh, it doesn't work for him. They've come to Tala and Abe's wedding. I think that's the name of the happy couple. Tala, couple to yeah. be. And I think Misty is one of the bridesmaids, isn't she? A close friend of Tala's. She is. Tala's sister, Sarah, is there also. Sarah, Eve. That's right. After he's woken up, we see Niles lounging in a pool on an inflatable. What do they call them? In We would call them like a lilo, wouldn't we? But they don't yeah. use that word. And these days they tend to be unicorns, don't they? Floaties. Well, these are. Well, this is a pizza slice, isn't it? He's got a pizza slice <laughs> floaty in the pool. He's having a conversation with a guy, a friend of his at the wedding, also called Jerry. And he's talking about how every day is the same. I think Jerry says it's a good day, and Niles says every day is the same kind of thing. It's a kind of a clue, isn't it, that Niles maybe is a bit jaded. Mm-hmm. And he's jaded because he's seen this day again and again and again, as we'll find out, but we don't realise that yet. It's the wedding in the evening, and it's the usual party. Misty, Niles' girlfriend, invites the bride's sister to speak, to give a speech. <laughs> now, are bridesmaid speeches typical in America, do you think? Everywhere, Paul. I think it's become much more of a thing, hasn't it? Right, okay. You know, it's fair, isn't it? You know, if they, Oh, it is fair. Yeah, I just didn't realise it was a thing. 
Oh, yeah. If you've not been to a wedding for a while. No, not for about 15 years. So you're not familiar with the like modern wedding etiquette? No. When was the last wedding you went to, Richard? It was not that long ago. I went to my stepbrother's wedding. Just about a year, two years. Just the end of COVID, I think. Weddings these days, it's typical at the, the do in the evening. Obviously, after the dinner has happened. I mean, it used, always used to be the case there'd be buffet food on at the do, didn't it? Yeah. But these days, it'll be something like fish and chips served in fake newspaper or something. Bacon butties, something like that. Rather right. than your usual buffet food, you know what I mean? Really? Yeah, yeah it's all trendy, that. Yeah. Do you have a sit-down meal, of course, before then? If you are invited to the, the wedding proper and the, the meal, yes, of course, yeah. And do you have a fake finish? Fake finish? What do you mean? That's in, well, this is what I've been reading about in relation to this movie. In America, they have what's called a fake finish. Right. What? They'll have a party after the dinner. You know, they'll have a reception. And then everybody will say, okay, that's great. And at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, they'll say, right, okay, we're off on a honeymoon. And the party will be over, except it won't. It's just to get rid of the old people. And once the old people are left, they start up again and have the second party through till the morning. Oh, wow, that's brilliant. I yeah. see, yeah. So the oldies have gone. And They're gone. All hell lets loose, they, as it were. Then they, yeah, then they... The yeah, shackles are off. Like yeah, okay. Yeah. That's clever. Yeah, it's having a wedding cake and eating it. Sarah, Tala's <laughs> sister, elder sister as well, she's not really prepared to speak and she seems uncomfortable. And Niles, chivalrous, chival, chivalrous, chivalrously. Well, I prefer chivalrously. Chivalry. <laughs> chivalrously steps in doesn't he yeah, he just he interrupts takes the microphone off his girlfriend and he gives perhaps off, off the cuff impromptu i don't know quite an insightful speech about love uh, yes. wearing wearing a hawaiian shirt and shorts <laughs> whereas everyone else is in tuxedos which is another clue of course but we don't yes. realize it we just think he's crazy he doesn't care but we don't know why he doesn't care He's constantly drinking out of a can of beer and he toasts the bride and groom with a can of beer. We see him later on the dance floor going around doing highly winning and engaging kind of moves, apparently beautifully choreographed, whilst catching the eye of the bride's sister, Sarah, who's slightly uncomfortable but obviously appreciates what he did for her. She approaches him later and he identifies her perfume, doesn't he? He's able to yes. indicate what it is. So she's kind of wild by all this, and they leave the party to have wild sex in the desert, don't they? <laughs> no, first, he takes her to go to look through a window from the outside, and in the room, he shows her that his girlfriend, Misty, is fucking a guy in a cowboy hat. The Asian the guy, yeah, yeah. He's actually the celebrant, isn't he, of the ceremony? The Asian guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He conducts the ceremony, doesn't he? Oh, that's the new modern wedding. You get your friend to celebrate. <laughs> Maybe they're humanists. Okay. As you say, they go off in the desert and they get off on a rock somewhere. Yeah, now it's this classic kind of Star Trek back of the film lot kind of scrub, isn't it? They flower. <laughs> that it. all happened because you have to be within a certain radius of the boundaries of the union you know, rights, yes, of, the actors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She comments as he's undressing, Do you wear underwear under your bathing suit? <laughs> Apparently, they're bathing shorts. Yeah. yeah. Presumably that's not what you're supposed to do, is it? Well, they oh. used to have a net anyway, don't they? Ah, well, sport shorts. You know when you go, when you, as a kid at school, when they took you out to play football and rugby and stuff? Well, you're supposed to wear... sport shorts have changed. They were short shorts back then, weren't they? 
But he's supposed to wear underwear underneath your sports shorts. It depends how professional a sports person you were at that young age. Right. Well, if you're right, more okay. professional... So in your primary school, Richard, I'm assuming you wore plimsolls. <laughs> yes. Dunlop plimsolls. Or maybe the thinner variety with those kind of like brown eraser-ridged bottoms that were very, were very thin-soled versions of Dunsol plimsolls. Yeah, okay, plimsolls. yes, yeah, yeah. You know the type. Plimsolls, so, yeah. In which case, you, you probably wore white shorts... Right. Your one little nine-year-old thick thighs, I imagine you have rather muscular <laughs> nine-year-old thick thighs, were clad in kind of almost like football, 1970s-style football shorts, but were white. And they were tapered quite tight around the thigh. <laughs> okay. So you didn't need to wear underwear, is that what you're saying? Because they were... You didn't. But in my school, we didn't wear those. The boys stripped down to the underpants and did PE in the underpants. Right, okay. There That's... we go. Including country dancing with the girls. And I now feel like we're in territory that should be perhaps reported somewhere. <laughs> no, this was standard operation. Of course, in the Catholic... Well, that's not the, the, probably what minute, Jimmy Savile told his victims. Right? In the Catholic school down the road, and I know this, and the boys swam naked. Right, okay. That's healthy, isn't it? <laughs> and I remember that when we were changing, the female teacher, class teacher, were coming to see that we changed. And a boy called Alexander, who was perhaps rather precocious, was able to look at adult women and get a response which he would slowly reveal from underneath. He would raise his towel like a curtain call, slowly reveal his proudness to, to the teacher that was looking and see if we changed or not. Where I is remember this going? all that like it's yesterday. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I remember it all like yesterday. So that was the first level of shortness. Okay, short shortness. Okay. Then, of um, course, maybe... I don't Were you in a sports club from age 9 to 14 or not? Hell, I was. What kind of sport I was, would I be in? Okay. I right. was. And as part of my swimming training, we used to do what was called circuit training and something else, which essentially meant cross-country running. Because swimming, of course, can't exercise your cardiopulmonary or cardiovascular system to the extent it needs to stress, to hypertrophy the body into improvement. Because you don't really use your legs that much in swimming, which is where you've got to pump your blood to really stress out your heart. So at that point, you know, we're talking mid-80s, I and all my male colleagues would wear very tight, very silky, very silky, very shiny Adidas shorts. With a slit either side, essentially, I guess they were essentially running shorts, not football shorts, and they were incredibly skimpy. And I can imagine that basically everything we had was on display, somewhat horribly. But you had to wear underwear with them. No, they had nets, but only nets. Nets. Okay. <laughs> so you jingle jangle, you know, as you were doing your leg raises in the cross circuit training, whatever thing we did, you know, on mats, your jingle jangles would all be visible. I don't know why just, this is just fascinating me so much, but well, it's, no, it is fascinating. So definitely short shorts. Then I think like long jumping into pool shorts only became available to my generation at the age of eighteen or nineteen, nineteen nineties. Right. No one is before then. People just that... didn't wear long shorts. No, of course not. No one we is saying that you would shorts. wear underwear underneath swimming shorts when you're going swimming. That would be and crazy. it's not even the long shorts. Of course, you wouldn't wear underwear. No. Right. Fine. Why would you? No, no, no. I'm just. I'm talking about on land, dry sports. You know. Oh well, like the running variety were all netted. Cycling shorts were very hermetic anyway, <laughs> and padded. Like they had a huge cushion area to sit on the seat with. Do professional sports people do they wear underwear? No, of course no. not. 
Gosh, right. In those unfortunate moments where it rips, you know, it all it all flops out, doesn't it? Okay, right. There we go. That's something to think about when you're watching <laughs> Sunday sports. Yeah, yes, you know. Hope it happens. Sorry, no, what are you talking about? Yeah, gosh. Listen, before Niles and Sarah manage to get it on, just as he's stripping down, Niles, shockingly, gets an arrow into his shoulder. Yes. Are they, are they at a cave? Are they arriving They're a near a cave, near but a not cave. at a cave. Because Niles has got an arrow on his shoulder. There's a crazy survivalist chasing him with night goggles. Is that right? It's just so Pretty wacky. Much, yeah. Some guy who he seems to know because he calls him Roy is stalking him in camo gear. And he runs and hides, evades. He runs towards a cave, as you say. And disappears. It seems to have a red glow emanating from it. Telling a very worried Sarah not to follow him into the cave. Of course, what does she do? Well, what can she do? This guy who she's into has just been shot by an arrow and has crawled into a cave, apparently in distress. Cut to the next or the repeated morning, I guess. Well, as she goes into the cave, she gets kind of sucked into it, doesn't she? Yep. The next morning. We see Niles waking up again, just as he did the, the morning we saw earlier with his girlfriend, Misty. We see him having a pool conversation with Jerry about all the days being the same. And suddenly, Sarah emerges and comes and says to him, what the fuck is going on? Does he come clean? Does he say, I'd been in a loop before? Yeah, he, he comes pretend- clean straight away. One of the nice things about this film is we don't have this bit where nobody believes what's going on and they have to explain it to one another. And No, he explains it the straight away. The one thing he doesn't come clean about is the fact that he might have used the time loop to get off with it before. <laughs> That's true. He also doesn't indicate how many times he's gone through this loop. I see. But we're given to understand it's quite it's, a lot. It's hundreds of thousands of times, we think. He's reached the point where he doesn't care anymore. Nihilism is said it. He can't physically remember what's happened because it's been He started to forget. Hundreds, yeah, yeah, That yeah. many hundreds of thousands of times. So they wake up in bed on November the 9th, Saturday, the morning of the wedding. This time, the parents are pleased to see Sarah up. Perhaps she stayed in bed last time. She's asking them if this is really happening and stuff. She spots Niles on the floaty pizza thing. She, that's when she goes and, and asks him what the hell is going on. As she's berating or talking with Niles about stuff, Thala sees Sarah, runs towards her, trips and knocks her front teeth out on the hard <laughs> surface. Never run around pools. That's the message, isn't it? Dangerous. That is the message. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. In all the havoc that's, that results of, you know, what we're going to do for the wedding and stuff, Sarah yaks in a bin. She's obviously feeling a bit discombobulated, I suppose, by the time havoc. And Niles is saying, look, I tried to stop you. I told you not to, to come after me. And he explains the loops. Sarah asks where this cave is. Niles says, no, you don't want to go there. He lets her go, catches up with her later, and she's sort of dying of thirst out in the desert somewhere. <laughs> he says, actually, first, it's not there yet. We have to wait. And he stands on a rock. And the earthquake we saw in his dream or in the pre-title sequence happens. Of course, they have the earthquake every day, don't they? Of course, it happens every day, yeah. So I, I like the fact that he, this film doesn't try to explain the red glow, the weird timing of when, you know, this <laughs> vortex loop appears. Yeah, I just like the fact they just don't try to explain any of that. Very much in the spirit of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure or something like that. It's just, there's no exposition and no explanation or no justification of what's happening in the film. It's quite refreshing. He tells her that they're going to loop. If she goes into the cave, she'll just wake up in the be- in bed in the morning. You know, it doesn't matter what she does. If she doesn't listen, of course, she goes into the cave, wakes up. This time she's angry. She drives the hell out of there. She wants to get as far away as possible. And he said that if you fall asleep, 
you will also wake up back in the morning. So she's trying to keep awake, isn't she? She's taking pills and stuff. But inevitably, eventually, she falls asleep. She's got all the way back home, miles and miles away. She still wakes up back at her parents' place for the, for the wedding on the Saturday morning. And this time, she gets Niles out of bed and drives away with him. But he's just resigned to his fate, isn't he? This is why he's wearing, like, Hawaiian shirt and shorts <laughs> for the wedding. He's just, just go with it, he's advising. Can't do anything about uh, it. He, he realises if he ever wants to get out of a day, he can just kill himself. He recommends a quick death, of course, not yeah. a lingering one. She sees a truck coming towards him on the highway, so she steers the car straight into it. I th- he's unplugged his seatbelt and put his head against... He explains, yeah. The he window. Wants a <laughs> so she does the same. But, of course, they're back in the loop, aren't they? In, the next day, in the bar, they go to a dive bar. He explains how he tries to escape, the different things he's done. She's asking oh, yeah. about Roy. Who is this guy chasing you? He says it's one of, one of Abe's dad's friends... He came to the wedding one night a long time ago. They got crazy drunk and they did a load of drugs, which they got off the Asian celebrant in the cowboy hat. <laughs> in the flashback, they're discussing marriage and how difficult it is and stuff like that. And they wind up on the rocks in the desert. And Roy is regretting that this night can't go on forever because he's loving it. You know, he's had a great time. And Niles, in his crazed state says, I know how this can go on forever. And he leads him to the cave and thus traps Roy in the same loop that Niles is Consequently, Roy is angry with him for trapping him in this circumstance. Sets out on a vendetta of killing him and torturing him to punish him. There's quite a lot happening in this movie, but it's not hard to follow, is it? No, it's laid out with beautiful clarity, isn't it? It It doesn't try to be arch or mysterious, does it? He's explaining all this to Sarah. She's asking him, you must have fucked people. Who have you fucked? He says, yeah, the barkeep, the lady in the bar, Jerry. Well, Jerry, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get a comical, we get, we get a humorous kind of showing of when Jerry did actually screw him, didn't he? <laughs> and he says, oh, and, and your dad. Just kidding. <laughs> Sarah's thinking, you know, maybe it's a karma thing. Have I done something wrong? This is why I'm trapped in here. This is a bit like Groundhog Day, isn't it? She's taking the cue off this. She mm-hmm. thinks if she does something good, she'll be freed, quantum leap style, from her time loop. That time through, at the wedding, she halts the ceremony, goes up and whispers something to her sister, presumably something affirmative and comforting to her, gives her a big hug, and then walks out of there. But of course, it doesn't work. She's still in the loop. This is a cynical kind of time loop. Then we get the reason why she thinks she might be stuck in there because of karma. Why is that? Because the next morning, I think, have we have they crashed the car in the desert already, yeah? Okay, she's woken up by Abe, ah. her sister's fiance. We only see that a little bit later, I think. Oh. Are we I, not there I, yet? I don't think they're there because the first thing oh, is they haven't had sex in the desert yet, have they? Niles is going to now introduce her to how to enjoy yourself when you're stuck in a time loop. I see. He takes her to a, a safe house, which is an, a house he's found where the family are away. <laughs> it's, well, a really nice, it's, one day it's a really thing, nice yeah. modernist house, isn't it? In the middle it of is. the desert. Out of the desert, yeah. There's then a bit of a montage where they go and do a load of different things, maybe on different days. They go shooting with a survivalist who owns the goat, apparently. They steal a plane. They crash the plane. They go to the bar dressed up in a way that I can only describe as, as like Dex's Midnight Runners. Whoa, like they've you're got right. like a, a neckerchief and like all denim. Yeah. <laughs> and they dance no to bootlace ties, though. Did you ever have a bootlace tie? 
No, I never had a. I did. As a kid, I had a whole thing where I went cowboy. Really? Do you have a cowboy hat? Do you have a Stetson? I, I had expensive Levi jeans. I had expensive Levi belt with a big Levi embossed buckle. We well, see I had bootless tie. I had winkle pickers, which you, aren't really cowboy. But you lived in Lancashire, didn't you? It's basically it's not quite the Texas of Britain, is it? It's but, the Florida of Britain. <laughs> the Utah or the Ohio or something. Yeah, quite possibly. I think Yorkshire is the Texas of Britain. Yes. And they have a lot of... I get the feeling that they have a lot of the, like, cowboy cosplay style, you know, line dancing stuff in Yorkshire. I don't know why. I imagine that's where it all goes on. They do. So he's teaching her how to have a good time whilst being stuck forever on the same day. They do tattoos, don't they? They That's right. It's obvious, I think, that they're falling in love with... Well, she's falling in love with him. Mm-hmm. They have a heart-to-heart conversation. She said she was married two years ago, uh, but she knew it wasn't going to work out. She's not married anymore. Niles is saying, as you say, he can't remember. He's, he's been in his loop so long, he can't even remember what he used to do for a living. And as they're having this conversation, they look up from wherever it was they were sitting outside, and they see in the moonlight, they see a load of dinosaurs, like Diplodocus. That's because they've taken some mushrooms, though. Or, some, <laughs> or something in the desert. You reckon? Could be. And they're camping, aren't they, at this point? Yeah. It's at this point that they actually do have sex. Do the whoopee. Okay. So they do the whoopee. They both wake up, like, deliriously happy, don't they? Having oh, having right. done this, having consummated their burgeoning love. But, as you rightly say... Sarah's guilt-ridden, and she wakes up to... She's waking up in the room of Abe, the groom. Oh, my gosh. On the eve of her sister's wedding, she's gone and screwed the, the bridegroom. Oh, my gosh. And in the car, the two of them, Niles and Sarah, Niles is completely smitten. He's saying things seem different this morning. And she's completely shell-shocked. I don't know whether she'd forgotten that she was in Abe's room. Presumably, she's been getting up early and going to see Niles to say what the fuck and discussing all this with him. That she'd kind of let it slip her mind that the night before she'd slept with Abe. So perhaps because she had a lie-in for the first time, having after they had sex, she had a lie-in, Abe comes back into the room, doesn't he? And, and maybe she, she just reminded about it. That was my take on it, anyway. There's a cop following them by this time, isn't it? Yeah, they're out having had their glorious sex and they're driving out in the desert. Niall thinks it could be Roy. <laughs> She's understandable, but a little paranoid nonetheless. But it turns out it is Roy, sporting is Roy. A, a big sort of 70s moustache. But Sarah runs him over, now knowing yes. who he is. But another cop arrives on a motorbike tases Niles by accident. He was trying to tase Sarah, but she ducks. And they both wind up in cuffs. That's when he admits, whilst they're arguing about whose fault this all is, in anger... He's already screwed her he says, so many times. He's fucked her thousands of times, and she's obviously she's very hurt. So hurt that she throws herself in front of a passing truck. To no avail, of course. She's going to reincarnate. But Niles can't find her the next day. She's disappeared. She's not in the room. He can't. Uh, not, nobody knows where she is the next day. He's lovelorn, isn't he? So he's got it completely, back. completely. But over the next several days, whilst he's chumming around with the other mates at the wedding party, he notices her distinctive scent on Abe's pillow. I think it, all the boys are in Abe's room at one point, and he I smells see. it on the pillow. It's orchid explosion by Thornia or something. <laughs> <laughs> that evening, I think he announces it to the wedding party. Is that right? Uh-huh. So he kind of ruins the wedding. But it doesn't matter, of course, because it's just one of the time loops. The next day, he goes to see Roy. 
who he's found out where he lives and he's really reconciled. I mean, Roy's bitter white because he's forced to never watch his kids grow up. That's right. That's right. So he's got these. He's got these two kids, two or three kids. Anyway, he, he's got a lovely kind of suburban family setup, hasn't he? He's barbecuing in the back garden, and Roy gives him a beer and he apologizes for being a dick and killing him and torturing him. <laughs> now Sarah is away from Niles for duplicitous reasons. One, obviously, because she's hurt and angry and avoiding him whilst he's moping. But also, she's using that time to ah. to study quantum well, physics and general well, you relativity. Know, I, I know we may have said this before, and I don't know whether it's a common trope that people have commented on. Almost all movies wind up with a montage, don't they? They do. Yeah. Why? Expositional montage. But wh- why a montage is so common? Because I, we don't want to bore people with details of general relativity. I see what you're saying in this, in this case, but I think it's much more kind of fundamental than that. Oh. Because if you think about it, unless you're watching a film or a piece that is one-to-one, you know, it's 90 minutes long, you're watching yeah. a story that's exactly the same length, there must be a time jump in a film, right? Yeah. It's going to be six months later or a week later or three hours later. There's bound to be a discontinuity. Or 200 the same days later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's got to be, at some point, how are you going to show that passage of time? I mean, you might not bother. Except with a montage. I miss the old 90s, 50s montage where they had like a calendar. Yes, exactly, exactly. Or Just you might really spelling see, it out. You, know? you might see a tree, you know, changing Really season. spelling it out, yeah. You know, the leaves falling or the snow coming down. I'm using the word montage in the broadest possible sense. I mean, it might just be a caption. It is still a montage, yeah. It might, it might just be a caption that says six months later or something. It's still a montage, I think. It's a cut between... Yeah, exactly. Disconnected exactly. scenes, isn't it? Exactly. But, of course, the montage as a series of quick cuts showing someone's progression or someone doing something has become a real trope, hasn't it? Yes, and a recognisable semantic element to cinema. Perhaps reached its apotheosis in Rocky, where I think every yes. Rocky movie has, you know... Brilliant, yeah. Swelling music, uplifting music, <laughs> Rocky climbing the trading, steps trading, 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 doing well, doing better, Punching doing Punching a dead cow in a freezer or something. Well, this movie has one of the best montages because the music is so well chosen. The montage lives or dies by its choice of music, doesn't it? Did you recognise the music they'd chosen for this? Maybe. Huh. Okay. And here's another thing, Paul. I want to ask you now about bands Nine Inch which... Nails, don't. I'm not a fan of Nine Inch Nails like you are, Richard. I'm not talking about Nine Inch Nails, although they do some great music and TV music these days. What I'm talking about is bands that are ostensibly vocal-led with a singer, often a famous lead singer, and yet sometimes do an instrumental track. Yeah. Surely some of your favourite bands, you've had an album, and one of the tracks has got no no lyrics, no song, yeah. no singer on it at all, right? Yeah. What did you think about that when you heard it for some of the bands that you know? I'm not a fan. So what does it mean? Why do bands do it? To fill out albums. Is it? Is that is yeah. that your guess? Your best guess? You're yeah. just assuming. That's my best guess. It could be right. Maybe if that's true, then that choice is a product of the format restriction, isn't it? In order mm-hmm. to fill space on an album, what are we saying? The, the songwriter went, I, I can't be asked writing for this. And the rest of the guys... No, I can't just, be asked, just not capable. I mean, think, I think we touched on this maybe 10 episodes back. Is it like the Arctic Monkeys had eight years to write their first album? Right. They hit the big time. They've got six months 
to write their next one. Yeah. They've only got 18 songs. They've used <laughs> up 13. There's five left. They've got to write another seven songs in six months. They can't do that, can they? They're not used to writing at that rate. Interesting. But it seems strange. It seems strange that the musicians are able to put together a track, but the songwriter. I mean, okay, so that explains why the songwriter can't just knock another one out. But why are the musicians able to get together a track? Don't know. Tell me why. I don't. I don't know. It's an, this whole thing is a mystery. It's a puzzle box to be solved, Paul. But if you're right, then the modern era of music where it's all downloaded, and the album as a format is not really restricted anymore. You it's not, no. Then we should see a diminishment of these kind of instrumental-only tracks, shouldn't we? You don't like them, you said. I might have liked this one. What was it? Was it something famous? Ah. so you Was don't... it Huey Lewis ah. in the News, Hit to be Square Instrumental? No, you don't recognise the band. That's really interesting. I'll tell I, you I one of my... I might not have been paying that much attention, that, let's be that, honest. Quite, yeah, obviously. Was it... Wasn't the people that covered Dexter Midnight Runners? No. I just wanted to say... In a, in a caravan. I quite like instrumental tracks from normally vocal bands. One of my well, favourites... I like instrumental tracks by Vangelis. But Vangelis is an instrumentalist anyway, isn't he? he doesn't... Yeah. Jean-Michel Jarre. Yes, exactly. They don't count because... Because they're brilliant. they yeah. do. They don't, they're not vocalists, are they? I remember buying the Breeders album. Oh. His name I um, can't boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, Cannonball, boom, boom, you're singing. Yes. Their huge hit, Cannonball, which is brilliant, but... It's like Pixies, but a bit more fun, isn't it? Yeah, but they had an instrumental track on it called Flipside. Yeah. In my mind's eye, I'm imagining that that was probably before you turned the LP over, but I'm sure I bought it on CD, so I, I may you be wouldn't assuming know. that. Flipside, brilliant instrumental track. So, okay, hold your thought. I do remember one band that I really like the instrumentals, Paris Angels. They did a wonderful instrumental. Ah. But then one? I love them much more than anybody else ever did. So, I don't know, Paul. I really like Paris Angels as well. I may have to listen out for that one. No, so this montage music is from a big band, a stadium band, a big rock band. You too. No, but you're in the right ballpark. Simple Minds. It's Genesis. Oh, wow. And this is called The Brazilian. And it is, I have to say, by a long way, my favourite Genesis track. Track. Which some people might say is not pushing it. Would you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean have... favourite Phil Collins track, I admit, I, I, that's a big competition. But I mean, Genesis, I, they had some patchy stuff, didn't they? Well, they're much maligned, aren't they? They're a dad rock band, aren't they? They're the kind of thing that Jeremy Clarkson would probably like. They're... The slightly insipid side. Well, all prog rock was insipid. They're not quite prog rock, are they? But no, they're not even that interesting. You could argue, but I think the Brazilian, which they're again, competent, though, if you haven't heard the Brazilian in, in full, maybe you should take a moment. Maybe to I should. Down. I'm going to write it down here. Well, you could just look it up on YouTube right now. Oh, while you're nattering, yeah, go on then. It's in contradiction to what you're saying about why instrumental tracks get made. I'm just guessing, though. I mean, to me, it sounds like almost like they're pitching to write incidental music for a film. It's got a real epic quality to it. Are you, are you listening to it? Okay, sounds a bit like Joy Division. Yeah, exactly. And a bit like Kraftwerk. And, you know, it's pretty early days in synth pop, isn't it? So it sounds kind of 80s janky in, in a quite an engaging way. But it's tailor-made for being in a movie. Indeed, I'm sure it has been in plenty. Okay. It's like if the instrumental to War of the Worlds was actually quite good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is good. It's good. So this is the montage music for Palm Springs and this moment in the movie was where I really switched on decided I was into this movie I really liked it 
she's researching quantum physics, as you say. Even speaking to a quantum physicist, the guy she Zoom calls with is a real quantum physicist who they got on the film to advise them. <laughs> so she discovers, or she decides that if she blows herself up during in the tunnel, in the glowing tunnel, glowing tunnel of love, she'll escape the time loop. Yeah, I guess we have to give them a free pass for the rather Complete lazy bit of writing. free pass, yeah. <laughs> which is the, having done all this clever research, she decides you just blow yourself up. They've paid the extra $20 and they've taken the no-cue lane to the roller coaster, haven't they? <laughs> she uses the goat that we saw in the early, the first scene of the movie as an experimental subject. Consequently, I suppose she blows a goat up in a cage. Yeah, we're supposed to kind of be shot by that, but I just found it quite amusing. Well, she observes that the goat is no longer in their loop, concluding right, yeah. that either the goat has been obliterated from all, from all of the parallel universes or that it has escaped. Now, weirdly, although she's so annoyed with Nell, she does actually tell him about the whole thing, doesn't she? she says, I don't think she's annoyed with him so much oh. as she's convinced she needs to get out. She right. goes and tells him. She explains her theory. But Niles declares his love for her. She insists that she's leaving, though. And Niles isn't really sure he's all that up for blowing himself up. <laughs> he, he thinks, you know, we've got it good here. We can just stay here forever in love Even though it's together. tedious, yeah, yeah. She gives a, a good speech at the wedding, doesn't she? An old lady who'd congratulated Niles on his speech. This is funny, yeah. She comes up and congratulates her. And the thing about that old lady is the way she speaks to both of them seems to indicate that she's in the loop as well. She is in the loop, yeah. Which is the cutest thing about this film. Niles winds up back at the bar. He's having a moment of realisation, isn't he? And suddenly dashes off to try to catch Sarah at the cave. Mm-hmm. And she gives him one sentence to, to speak, to convince her, as it were. And he does so with a very long run-on sentence. Finally convinced, they walk into the cave. Sarah blows them both up. And then we see them in the next scene, exterior shot, looking down on a pool. They're both on pizza-slice-shaped floaties in a pool. And they've escaped the loop. Well, we think they have. And Niall admits that he has a dog called Fred, which he's surprised by. And as that happens, the family who owns the house arrive, which does indicate, I think, we've escaped, doesn't it? Either that or the loop has expanded to two days. Because they certainly didn't arrive on the ninth. Uh, and they say, what the fuck are you doing in our pool? And as the camera pans back or zooms out, we see in the far distance, Paul, what do we see on the landscape? don't know. Was it not written in your notes that you were just peering at? Nuclear explosion? No, we see dinosaurs moving, Diplodocus moving through the landscape Whoa. again. Oh, you missed it. What the fuck are dinosaurs doing there? <laughs> the credits roll, but we do get a mid-credit scene where Roy... Oh, yeah. oh yes we do, yeah, where Roy realises that he can get out of the loop. He's gone back to the party, having received a message that Sarah sent him on a voicemail or something. Who leaves voicemails these days? Uh, having Maybe she texted him. Having received a message from Sarah, and he goes uh, and meets Niles at the party. But this yeah. time we're seeing Niles in a tuxedo, and he seems to have no memory of Roy or anything, giving Roy the clue that he's escaped, or Sarah and Niles have escaped, so he's got a chance. And that is the end. What do you think, Paul? You delighted or... Depressed. I was delighted by this. Okay, uh, there are some genuinely heartfelt moments. Uh, I think Sarah delivers the best, where she just pulls her heart out and she has these uh, sort of expletive-filled kind of just 
ululations of the heart. And they're just pitted and set against these zany comic little set pieces throughout the movie. It's just it's just a really high-energy, fun combination. I think it's simultaneously... Because it, it does manage to be like heartfelt without ever being just smoldly, saccharine or schmaltzy, you know. That's right. Which I because think it's so pithy. It. There's so much bad language, I think, in the heartfelt moments. I think that sets it apart from, say, Groundhog Day. Yeah, which is smaltzy. Which also, is Sleepless in Seattle, isn't it? Which is, you know, desperately seeking Susan, but with some weird twists. It's just icky, isn't it? Also, Groundhog Day, also, it has this element of him sort of stalking the, the, the woman. He, but he's, like, trying to manipulate her into sleeping with him. It's not quite the same in this, is it? Although, well, I mean, we know that Sarah and Niles have slept together on numerous occasions, and obviously she is into him. And she does feel a bit betrayed learning that. But really, it's just her, isn't it? She's just made that decision lots of times in the same way. And Niles doesn't come across, consequently, as all that creepy. Although, obviously, he's had plenty of time to fuck lots of people. But they all seemed into it. Did you ever read Douglas Copeland or Coupland, Generation X, Tales of a Doomed Generation? No, Paul. But tell me uh, about it, because well, we it are... Well, it was set out in the desert, you know, and it was it was full of characters just like these two. Like, highly ironic, somewhat expectorant characters. You know, expressing their emotions very expectorantly. And it had that kind of weird feel to it. And it was all to do with nuclearity and the approaching potentially the transformative, the horrifically transformative nature of it the threat of the atomic bomb. But I always wanted it to turn into magic. I always wanted something magic to happen, where they'd all be like magic town. And in a way, this kind of did that for me. It kind of rounded off a square that that novel never, ever did, which was just take those kind of people, misfits, successful, you know, vaguely semi, you know, successful in life, misfits out in the desert, confronting their existence. But this took it to a magical dimension, didn't it? So I thought it was really good. So it has a nice epochal feel to it all, I thought. For sure. Yeah, I, I liked it. I knew I was in this film, and I was all for it when they played the Brazilian over quantum physics montage. You just and, don't get better you than know, that. Epochal also, because it, I, I, the last swan song, if you like, of millennial humour, these comics and the kind of stuff that was written for them, huh. okay, is kind of zany, throws in quite a lot of slightly outre genital jokes, that kind of thing. There's, I mean, there's, there's a almost like reinvents National Lampoon for the 2000s. I don't know if you have felt that about 2000 comedy movies. But what I thought was it was therefore very epochal because that kind of humour just isn't going to exist in the future, is it? You reckon? How come? I just don't think Generation AZ, whatever they are, are into this kind of stuff, are they? Okay, no, fair enough. We'll see, won't we? Actually, we'll probably be long gone. We'll be gone, yeah. Could you rate the acting? Hard to fault, you know. I mean, in terms of comic performances, it was all there. Okay. Who played Roy? Somebody really famous, I think. J.K. Simmons. Simmons. Yeah. He's unrecognisable because he's, you know, kitted out in in, uh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it it was... I I wouldn't say consummate performances, but very confident performances for everybody. Uh, So I'm going to score it an eight for acting. Andy Samberg played Like a Boss. It was great. Like a boss. Yes. Obviously, J.K. Simmons is brilliant, and the lady, Kristen, brilliant also. Yeah, I'll Ruby give it strong. Eight. I'll keep it. She's, she's kind of Sarah Silverman, dippy, dipsy, She is like but, Sarah Silverman, yes. So, well ditzy, done. But, yep. see, but sharp. Edgy, yes. Yeah. Edgy, ditzy, but sharp. Kind of, really nice combination of character there. Agreed. Okay. It's, so hastily, but well-sketched characters. So we can do plot and storyline. 
I can't really fault it. It zipped along a nice old pace. It was never, ever, ever confusing, despite the potential complexity of what it's trying to do. Carried everybody along. Uh, I've got to score it a 9. I was really impressed with the plotting here. I'm going to mark it down for one little thing, one tiny quibble that I've got. Because I wasn't really Escaping sure Escaping a time loop by jumping into a glowing hole. Okay, that's a bit cheap. I love the yeah. confidence of that. But it's a bit cheap to do all of the quantum physics and then just go, this is blow it up. Right. Yeah. Surely. But we don't need more on that in a, in a romantic comedy, do we? But the one thing that didn't totally gel with me is why... When Niles got shot with an arrow, did he want mm. to crawl into the cave? Because he's bound to lead Sarah to it. So if you really mm. didn't want her to go in there, he should have just died, shouldn't he? Or gone to sleep. Yeah. There's no reason for him to go to the cave. Anyway. So I'll give it an eight. All right. Okay. It's a comedy. It's sort of sci-fi. So I don't know. Do we do comedy laughs or do we do time loop? Entirely up to you. <laughs> do both. Comedy and then time loops. Okay, comedy. Comedy, you know, it, this is maybe a comic approach that's to do with a knowingness towards standard social situations that is maybe a 10-year-old or 15-year-old Templar. I didn't think he'd suffer for that. The comedy, I thought, was strong. It was very well scripted. Not, just a large number of gags. It was gag-a-minute gag kind of stuff. So I'm going to score it seven for comedy. A lot of the comedy comes from our realisation that uh, Niles has been doing this so long. Yes. And, you know, he can now, like, get away with whatever he wants. Kind of yeah, his, his speeches at the wedding are just... I mean, they're funny. Yeah. I'll, gi- I'll give it a seven for comedy. Mm-hmm. Time loop stuff. Time is- lo- there's an obvious metaphor about breaking free for everyday life here, isn't there? But then, so it's that Groundhog did that. The thing, is, well, the thing is, the interesting thing about the time loop in this is the important thing is not so much the time loop nature... Hmm. It's the fact that what the cave does to Niles and Sarah and Roy is makes them remember. So that the weird thing is that at the end, when Niles has putatively escaped and Roy goes to see him at the party, hmm. Niles is still there because he was there at the party. Yes. But what's gone is his memory of having lived this day lots and lots of times. Now, this raises an interesting philosophical question. Maybe we're all reliving yeah. it all the time anyway. We just don't remember. We don't remember. It is interesting. That's a really Buddhist idea, isn't it? The consciousness is a crutch and, 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 and a hobbling a hobbling instrument for the mind. Well, it's also saying that this whole time loop thing really is a mental phenomena, isn't it? Yeah. That the only thing that escapes is their, their consciousness, Sarah and ah, Charles' consciousness. I like the time loopiness. I've got to give it an eight for its thoughtful time loopy consequences. Yeah, I love the way it panned out into thinking, you know, what is this all about? It's about trying to escape and make difficult decisions, isn't it? Ultimately, it's how they're trying to connect. It's really about, it's really about when they're talking about every day being the same. I think they're talking about normal life, aren't they? Yeah. So that's what it is as as a bland metaphor. And uh, that's how we should take it. I'm going to score it a little bit weaker on on the time time loopiness, a 6.5. And an overall score... I would hope this replaces Groundhog Day. Although I guess as the go-to, as the it's a go-to. bit tricky to show it to your uh, elderly relatives, isn't it? Because it does have all the kids. A, a guy getting fucked in in the middle of it. I'll give it, a, but I'll give it an eight. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it didn't do well at the box office. It is a great movie. I'm gonna score it an eight also. Hey, hey, uh, good one then. So, Paul. right, Richard, it behooves me, and it befalls to me 
to give you some choices for next week. What kind of movie would you like to watch? Well, you've got no real choice in deciding the choices, but you can choose the choice. Right, we've got Triangle, which has been up and slated for weeks and never been chosen. It's like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. It's a horror time loop. We've got Brian and Charles, which you know more about than I do. Is that the one where the guy builds a robot out of a washing machine? Potentially, yeah. And then we've got a wild card here from Far East Asia, Days of Being Wild 1990, by highly regarded postmodernist director Wang Kar-wai. And what year is that from, did you say? 1990, I do believe. So it won't be available in HD, Richard, if you want to watch it on your big screen. (laughs) And watch it on your laptop. By the way, here's an important thing. You know when we watched Talk To Me for last week? You bought it in HD, yeah. Well, we bought it. Last week it came onto Netflix. For how much? For nothing. It's on Netflix. You stream it. fucking joking. (laughs) Days of Being Wild is what? About a Hong Kong playboy known for breaking girls' hearts tries to find solace after discovering this woman who raised him isn't his mother. Sounds... Sounds like we're back to orphans and stuff again, doesn't it? Does rather. I don't know, Paul. 1990s, quite early. It's it's 33 years old, Richard. Wow. Brian and and the young man that, The young man that directed it is now an old man. Okay. I think we've got to get, let's be honest, I think we've got to get Triangle out of the way. Let's get Triangle out of the way. Whilst we're still doing time loops, let's do that. Triangle Get it is. done. Get it done. I'm putting it down for my Friday evening. Okay, Triangle. There we go. Very well. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Paul, for your delightful contributions. <laughs> this is untoward and unexpected, and somewhat unusual for Richard, but thank you nonetheless. Until the next time. Ciao for now. Goodbye. See you on the next time. Thank you.